Okay, so for this episode of this podcast, it's going to be specifically for the uh, high-yield embryology material of Unit 1. So, here we go. The first eight weeks of human development is known as the embryonic period. It's also called the period of organogenesis or embryogenesis. It's kind of just where our basic body plan is established, the organ systems are going to develop, um, but it's also the highest risk to teratogens. So week nine onward is defined as the fetal period, um, just for growing and maturing. Fertilization is going to occur in the ampulla of the oviduct. Once fertilization occurs, cells of the zygote multiply while decreasing in size, eventually forming a solid ball of 16 cells called a marula. The marula consists of the inner cell mass, which gives rise to the embryo proper, and an outer cell mass, which will form the trophoblast, which will later contribute to the placenta. The blastocele soon develops, transitioning the marula into a blastula. At this stage, we refer to the developing embryo as a blastocyst. The term decidua refers to nutrient-rich endometrium and is where the blastocyst implants, usually about nine days after ovulation, with the inner cell mass facing the uterine wall. Our second week of development is going to be referred to as the week of twos. The trophoblast differentiates into the cytotrophoblast and the syncytiotrophoblast, which is a multinucleated succinctum that develops uh, lacunae and be the beginnings of gas exchange between the mom and embryo. The inner cell mass or embryoblast is going to differentiate into the hypoblast and the epiblast and together they form a bilaminar disc. The amniotic cavity and yolk sac develop while a layer of extra embryonic mesoderm is deposited around these structures and deep to the cytotrophoblast. Now, where did that cytotrophoblast come from? The trophoblast. So the placenta is part of the chorion and the chorion consists of extra embryonic mesoderm, cytotrophoblast, and syncytiotrophoblast. Remember, those last two things are both the differentiation of that trophoblast. Now we're going to talk about the third week of development, um, which is the process of gastrulation beginning with the formation of the primitive streak and primitive node at the cephalic end of the embryo. The third week usually corresponds to the first missed menstrual period. So the epiblast cells move into the primitive streak and primitive node to form endoderm and mesoderm. Non-migrating epiblast cells are gonna be the ectoderm. Gastrulation does not deposit mesoderm everywhere. 
this uniquely formed germ layer is absent from the bucopharyngeal and clo cloacal membranes, which form the future mouth and anus, respectively. So, in addition to gastrulation, the notochord develops from the newly acquired mesoderm. This structure will induce the formation of the neural plate or neuroectoderm. Once the neural plate has been established, neurulation is going to begin. So during the fourth week, neurulation proceeds to completion, forming a neural tube with a lumen that will become the central canal of the spinal cord, which is going to provide transportation for the CSF created by the choroid plexuses in the ventricles. The neuropore closure for the cranial portion comes around day 25, and for caudal, it's going to be 28. During neurulation, neural crest cells develop. These cells will ultimately form melanocytes, which give the pigmentation for skin. They're going to form the sensory ganglia, the Schwann cells, and a lot of stuff. A good guess if you have no idea on the exam for the embryo questions is that the neural crest cells likely developed it. So as neurulation proceeds and the neural tube grows, an additional process is occurring simultaneously. It's the uh, tube within a tube structure, which is going to be the gut tube and cavity formation. So also in week four, our somites are going to begin to form. And if we remember from the first episode of this podcast, those are important because Counting the number of those is going to be what determines our uh, embryo age. Um, so the somites, the structures are made up of paraaxial mesoderm and produce the segmental pattern of the body plan. The somites will become sclerotomes, which is cartilage and bone, bones of the shoulder and pelvic girdles. And then the limbs come from the parietal layer of the lateral plate mesoderm. The somites are also becoming myotomes or muscle and then dermatomes or skin. Remember, dermatome gives rise to the dermis. So sclerotome formation is induced by the sonic hedgehog protein. Uh, which is a morphogen secreted by both the notochord and the neural tube. The vertebrae form from sclerotomes to encase the notochord and the neural tube in a solid bone-like structure. The notochord eventually becomes the nucleus pulposus of the intervertebral discs. What might be, or what is the most common site of herniation for the nucleus pulposus? It's generally going to be L4 to L5, could be some L5 to S1, but that uh, lower portion of the spinal column. And the clinical reason behind that is because you only have one ligament opposing um, extension of the spine. What is that ligament? 
going to be the anterior longitudinal ligament. Um, and that the reason that herniation is so common in the lower portion of the spinal cord is because that ligament is getting thinner as it descends the spinal column, making herniation more likely in the lower portion of the spinal column. Just some uh, anatomy additions there. Um, continuing now with the, the embryo. So myotomes, which are going to come from the dorsomedial and ventrolateral edges, they're going to contain the muscle precursor cells. So myotomes, muscle. Then we have our lateral somatic frontier, which is a well-defined border between each somite and the parietal layer of the lateral plate mesodome. It's going to create two domains. It's going to give us our prime axial domain, which is going to consist of regions around the neural tube and contain only somite-derived or paraaxial cells. And then we have our abaxial domain, and that's going to consist of the parietal layer of the lateral plate mesoderm together with somite cells from the ventrolateral edge that migrated across the lateral somatic frontier. So what does the abaxial domain give rise to? Abdominal wall. Primaxial domain, that was for you know, our, like our shoulder girdle. Um, then muscle precursor cells in the primaxial domain. Oh, that's literally what I was just saying. Okay. They're going to give rise to the back shoulder girdle and intercostal muscles. And then the muscle precursor cells of the abaxial domain is the abdominal wall and then the limb muscles. So as far as innervation goes, um, we have the epaxial, which is going to be the deep muscles of the back and then uh, also associated with the primaxial muscle cells. So those epaxial uh, muscles are going to be innervated by the dorsal posterior rami. Hypaxial, which is going to be the body wall and limbs associated with abaxial muscle cells, those are going to be innervated by our ventral anterior rami. So finally, dermatomes create the dermal and subcutaneous layers of the skin. The ectoderm is responsible for the epidermis. Ectoderm, epidermis. Dermatomes are important because that's how you trace pain back through neurologic roots uh, based on where the pain is felt at the particular skin level. Our bones, joints, and connective tissue of the limbs are going to come from the parietal layer of the lateral plate mesoderm. Syndactyly is going to refer to the digits that are fused together due to lack of apoptosis or programmed cell death. Polydactyly is going to be those extra fingers. Hox genes are going to direct the body pattern formation from the cranial to caudal axis. Our pleuropericardial folds from the lateral plate mesoderm separate the pericardial cavity from the pleural cavity. 
our pleuroperitoneal folds along with the septum transversum, i.e. the structures that are going to give rise to our diaphragm, those two things are going to separate the pleural cavity from the peritoneal cavity. And the end result is going to be three separate cavities created from the original intraembryonic colon. The diaphragm is composed of the septum transversum, pleuroperitoneal membranes, dorsal mesentery, and the body wall. The diaphragm receives its innervation from the phrenic nerve during week four. So the phrenic nerve is C3 to C5, so 3, 4, 5 keeps the diaphragm alive. Diaphragmatic hernias result when pleuroperitoneal membranes, one or both, fail to close the pericardioperitoneal canals, causing protrusion of abdominal organs into the thorax. Diaphragmatic hernias can hinder lug development, resulting in hypoplastic or undersized lungs. Esophageal hernias can result when esophageal hiatus is too large and the stomach pushes up into the thorax. During the fourth week of development, we see cardiac looping which is going to position the atria posteriorly and the ventricles anteriorly. And dextrocardia is going to result when the heart is positioned on the right side of the mediastinum instead of the left. Septum formation in the atrium occurs when the septum primum descends to divide the atrium in two. The ostium primum is a foramen between the two sides. When the ostium primum closes, a second foramen, the ostium secundum, forms. Eventually, a septum secundum forms to the right of the ostium primum, leaving an interarterial opening, the oval foramen or foramen ovale, which normally closes at birth. When this process fails, a patent ovale foramen persists. The atrioventricular septum, or our AV septum, is formed by the fusion of the dorsal and ventral AV cushions. The AV septum creates the right and left atrioventricular canals. The interventricular septum forms the muscular IV septums and a membranous IV septum. And that's going to bridge the gap between the AV septum and the IV septum, which will prevent the shunting between the two ventricles. The aortico-pulmonary septum from the neural crest divides the primitive truncus arteriosus into the aorta and the pulmonary trunk in a spiral or twisted fashion such that the aorta originates from the left ventricle and the pulmonary trunk originates from the right ventricle.
persistent truncus arteriosus. The AP septum fails to form due to failure of neural crest cell migration, resulting in one large outflow tract, which will kill you. Now, transposition of the great vessels. The AP septum forms, but without spiraling, which is going to result in the aorta originating from the right side of the heart and the pulmonary trunk coming from the left. So for survival, we'd have to have a shunt. Now, the tetralogy of fallout is a condition that results in four characteristics. That's going to be the pulmonary stenosis, right ventricular hypertrophy, the overriding aorta, and a ventricular septal defect is the most common cause of marked cyanosis in the baby during the first few weeks of life. It's a high yield question there, those four characteristics, four characteristics that contribute to that. Now we have a couple different aortic arches to talk about. Um, aortic arch number three is responsible for the development of the common carotid arteries. Aortic arch four is responsible for the development of the aortic arch and the subclavian artery. And aortic arch six is responsible for the pulmonary artery, which in the fetus is connected to the aorta by the ductus arteriosus. The vitaline veins drain deoxygenated blood from the yolk sac and develop into the portal system. Cardinal veins drain deoxygenated blood from the body. The umbilical veins bring oxygen-rich blood to the fetus from the placenta and closes after birth, forming the ligamentum teres hepatis. The fetus has three primitive shunts, the ductus arteriosus, foramen ovale, and ductus venosus. The ductus arteriosus is a short vessel that shunts blood from the pulmonary trunk to the aorta. In doing such, blood is rerouted away from the lungs. The oval foramen routes inflow blood from the right atrium and immediately shunts it to the left side of the heart. The ductus venosus shunts blood for the umbilical vein to the inferior vena cava, bypassing the fetal liver. After birth, the oval foramen closes to become the fossa ovalis. Additionally, contractile cells in the ductus arteriosus close this shunt to form the ligamentum arteriosum. The ductus venosus closes to form the ligamentum venosus. Inappropriate contractile cells in the aorta can lead to coarctation of the aorta. And that is our high yield embryo material for unit one. Um, 
basically just listen to this recording um, a couple times and then go to those uh, practice questions and see if you've got it down.